Hello, and welcome to Lit Century, our podcast where we discuss one book for each year of the 20th century. I'm Sandra Newman, and my co-host is Catherine Nichols, and today our year is 1970, and our book, or really series, is Arnold Lobel's iconic series for children, The Frog and Toad Books, beginning with Frog and Toad Are Friends, which is the 1970 book. Um, And the series is about two amphibians who are best friends. They each live in a little house in the country. And it's all about the ups and downs and the challenges of having a close relationship and how they solve those problems. And with us this week to discuss Frog and Toad is Ellen Tarlow, who's a writer of children's books herself. Ellen Tarlow's most recent book is Looking for Smile, which is a picture book about a bear who wakes one day to find his smile gone and enlists his friends to help him find it. And it's got a lot of consonances with Arnold Lobel's work. Um, And she also has another picture book forthcoming called Becoming Blue and a few more books in the pipeline. Um, And Ellen has a long history in children's publishing, uh, early childhood publishing specifically. Uh, She's written early readers before, including a book called Pinwheel Days, uh, about a little series of books very similar to Arnold Lobel again about a donkey. Um, And she's written a book for teachers on Arnold Lobel, teaching with favorite Arnold Lobel books. It's the kind of book that you, that is distributed to teachers to help them use books in classrooms. So uh, welcome to Ellen Tarlow. So Ellen, um, so what makes these books so special? Well, I think there, well, first of all, I think there were a lot of things that make it special. But I think one of the reasons that people like it so much, both adults and children, is that I think because of um, the genre, which we can get into, and a lot of other things, these books really just hone in on what it feels to be close to another person, or to, you know, to another frog or or amphibian. And (laughs) they do it in a way, you know, that that they really deal so much with the messiness of intimacy. There are stories where it's just about how you feel if someone doesn't pay attention to you for a minute. But, I mean, he does it in a, a humorous way, and he also managed to do it in a soothing way. But you just get the sense that they are always trying to they, – they have a lovely time enjoying each other, this frog and toad, um, but they are always on the edge of like trying to make sure that the relationship is smooth, you know, and I guess all of us who have been involved in intimate relationships, you know, can, can relate to that. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a very couples therapy air to, to the books I find where they're, they're always finding ideal solutions to, to tricky things to negotiate in a relationship. Yeah, and there, yeah, and the stories, which sometimes just have some of some of the stories are very much just about what childhood stories are about. You know, there's the story, the letter, where Toad is despondent because he has never gotten a letter, and Frog goes home and writes a letter saying, "I'm so glad you're my friend." And then Frog comes back, and they start to wait for the mailman, which is Toad's saddest time of day. And Frog can't wait to tell Toad that you know, you will get a mail, you will get a letter today because I wrote you one. It's like he breaks the story in order yeah. just to get that over with. And then, you know, the story ends very sweetly and they get the letter. And it didn't matter that the story, quote unquote, was broken. It's that they had that moment and they're both happy. You know, now they're as happy as each other to get the letter. Yeah. So, and it has a very classic childhood joke because the mailman is a snail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah that is fine. <laughs> so, I think there's another 
like I think there's like a parent-child relationship that's also kind of nestled inside how they interact, because um, it, Frog really is sort of better at life than Toad yeah. often, and um, they're not fully reciprocal um, because, like, I'm, I'm thinking of the one where um, uh, Toad is. Um, uh, Toad is angry about time. Like he's just angry that it's um, that he wants to to hibernate. And uh, Frog is like, no, you have to get out of bed. And he rips off the calendar pages to make Toad believe that it's time to uh, stop hibernating and and get out of bed. And um, like having a character who's angry about the passage of time is <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. like that. That's like a a parent child kind of interaction. Um, not really fully between equals. Yeah, well, actually, interestingly, um, one of the things I think people feel when they remember Frog and Toad is they they feel like there are probably a lot more of these books than there were. There were four books of five little stories, and I think it, the last story in the series is an interesting story to talk about alone, and we can talk about that in a minute. But one thing I read, I got some interview for this that Arnold Lobel did in 1977 is he felt like he couldn't go on with the series because he felt that um, Toad or, or that Frog, that there was something ultimately that was going to be a little cruel in the position of Frog and Toad and he didn't want to get into it. Like he felt any more, you know, disbalance would end up, yeah. you know, being yeah. a little more than he wanted. So he ended it. Um, very much on, on this note, do you, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the story alone? It's kind of Let's culminates. Talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of culminates the the book at the end of the days of Frog and Toad, and basically Toad. I, let me see if I can get it here. Toad is in a panic because he wakes up and Frog has written a little email. Um, Toad went to Frog's house. He found a note on the door. Dear Toad, I am not at home. I went out. I want to be alone. Alone, said Frog. Toad, Frog has me for a friend. Why does he want to be alone? And so there's this, you know, panic that um, that why why how could there be something else in the world? And so <laughs> then then he goes through this whole thing mentally, as we all do if we've ever been rejected. You know, poor Frog. He must be very sad. You know, you have a screwed up boyfriend or something. I will cheer him <laughs> up. Toad ran home. He made sandwiches. He made a pitcher of iced tea. Put everything in the basket. And Toad hurried back to the river. Frog, he shouted, it's me. It's your best friend, Toad. But Frog was too far away to hear. And so he goes through all of this stuff. Um, and then he, I love this, a turtle swam by. Toad climbed on the turtle's back. Turtle said to Toad, carry me to the island. Frog is there. He wants to be alone. If Frog wants to be alone, said the turtle, why don't you leave him alone? That's like your friend. After <laughs> I call him again, maybe you were right," said Toad. "Maybe Frog does not want to see me. Maybe he does not want to be my friend anymore." "Yes, maybe," said the turtle. And so eventually, um, they get there after Frog falls into the water and ruins the picnic. And he says, "Frog, cry, Toad. I am sorry for all the dumb things I do. I am sorry for all the silly things I say. Please be my friend again." And um, and so he gets there, and then and, and Frog says, But Toad, said Frog, I am happy. I am very happy. This morning when I woke up, I felt good because the sun was shining. I felt good because I was a frog, and I felt good because I have you for a friend. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to think about how fine everything is. Oh, said Toad, I guess that is a very good reason for wanting to be alone. 
Now, said Frog, I will be glad not to be alone. Let's eat lunch. And then Frog and Toad stayed on the island all afternoon. They ate wet sandwiches without iced tea. They were two close friends sitting alone together. So even though it sort of ends in this note, there's just so much, you know, that Frog has three reasons to be happy, not just, you know, <laughs> Toad. He's happy because he, the sun is shining. He's a frog. And then also he has him for a friend. So there's just the little hints of, you know, the, the disparity in 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 their connection yeah and there's that other story um the dream where oh God, toad, yeah. toad dreams that he's kind of um thinking of, like he's he's like the greatest toad in the world in various different ways um and is better and more important than frog um and the more he dreams these um these fantasies um the smaller and smaller frog becomes um as his audience and eventually like disappears entirely but um, we were talking about how psychological these books are. Um, I think if we were talking about people who are like theoretically equals, like partners, um, a dream like Toad's is kind of like, wait, you think that your partner would disappear if you weren't kind of lesser than him all the time? Um, right. right. Like, I, I mean, yeah. on the one hand, there's so much sort of intimacy and generosity and sweetness between them. And on the other hand, Frog is always the one who is reassuring Toad um, in a way that, like, if you compare them to something like Mo Willem's Elephant and Piggy books, um, each of those characters, um, they're, very, they're very open about their feelings and they kind of talk through all their stuff and they finish each book uh, with a resolution of whatever feeling they had, um, which is definitely not how Frog and Toad roll. Yeah, no, yeah, the dream is an amazing story that really breaks, you know, <laughs> what you think these little books could be about. Yes, you know, actually, yes. this is a little, just, when um, I agreed to do this podcast, and then I went on and read what the podcast was about and how it's supposed to put these stories into historical context, and I was thinking, well, 1970, but the thing about Frog and Toad is it's they're so classic, you know, they look classic, almost Victorian, and their preoccupations are have everything to do with life as it's been lived for like 200 years, you know, just cookies and letters and, and that. But then I did begin to think that there was something about things in, that you see in stories like The Dream that are very um, much about 1970 and like, I'm okay, you're okay. And all, you know, all, all of those things. And it, so it was interesting for me to kind of come full circle on that and, yeah, I was just going to say, like, on that note as well, there's, like, one thing that is, like, currently treated as very topical about Arnold Lobel and these books is the issue of Arnold Lobel's homosexuality and how his daughter has said that she thought these books were part of his process of coming out to his family um, and just accepting himself as a gay man. And then, of course, like, within 13 years, he actually died of AIDS, so which is a I very know, dark note. I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, could we just looking at these as books that are that are sort of about that journey in a very kind of shy and careful way? Um, do you do you sort of read anything about like an imaginary gay relationship about how you have a relationship when you're gay and you're trying to 
trying to accept yourself in these books? Well, can I, can I, I want to yeah. hop in because this, this connects to, to what Ellen was saying earlier also about in, you know, they, they look so classic. They look like they could be at the same, you know, era as um, like Alice in Wonderland was illustrated. Um, but uh, I know that's not actually the title, but anyway, you know what book I'm talking about. Um, but uh um, the, I w- wanted to put them alongside um, the work of Marie Sendak and Edward Gorey. So um, uh, Lobel was born in 1933. Edward Gorey was born in 1925. And Marie Sendak was born in 1928. So they're like practically exactly contemporaries. And they all have this um, kind of etched sort of... Um, classic looking style that could be happening sort of anywhere from the, like, let's say early 19th century onward in many cases. Um, and at least, um, definitely Lobel and Sendak were gay and gory. It's like probably, um, and, um, they all have this very psychological approach and I, where they're, they're writing about their own, concerns that are also the concerns of children. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely wouldn't say that, and, and actually Lobel even and says that his work didn't really take off as children's books until he just wrote his own concerns as an adult. Um, like he wrote for adults, but in a children's mode kind of, mm-hmm. um, which I'd say is, is common for all three of those uh, writers. Um, and if that is your sexuality. Um, I think that in the 20th century, thinking that this was a psychological problem, um, like that was a really popular way to perceive homosexuality. Um, And I just wonder how much they were looking to Freud or et cetera, you know, at the the psychological psychological tradition yeah. to answer questions about themselves, and um, and that that was kind of one of the wellsprings of their work. I don't know how much they encountered each other. I'm just thinking that they all seem to that there's like something in their work that's speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I something. I think that it's sort of interesting because seeing like that whole framing of, of gayness as a psychological problem as like something that's inward and something that couldn't possibly ever just be in your public life as part of your accepted life publicly. Um, it kind of relates to these books and to Lobel's work more generally because his work is very solitary. And he even said about Frog and Toad that how he saw it was about his relationship with himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's, so much about characters being alone. Frog and Toad each have their own house, which in a sense is, is a, a fa- common fantasy of childhood that a child would be able to have their own little house with a, a fireplace. Um, <laughs> but but it's also, it tells you a lot about Frog and Toad. They don't want to live with their best friend. They want to have their own little house. That like privacy is very important to these two Lobel characters. Yeah, that's, and I, yeah. that's really nice, oh, the privacy part. Yeah. 
And self-control is also a big one of his themes. Yeah. Like there's the there's the story about uh, frog and toad sort of trying to control how much of the cookies they eat. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and there's in his fables. I, I don't know if we can talk about fables. <laughs> same author. Um, there's also a lot of concern about like you know like dieting, self-control. How many sweets are you going to eat? Like that kind of thing. Um, so that sense that you have to kind of keep yourself in line all the time. Um, it's, it seems both of the seventies and eighties and also kind of like, um, psychologically sad, I guess. I mean, all we do on this podcast is talk about (laughs) gay people being sad and I'm sorry about that. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. I was just going to say one of the things that I see in all the three books, and I hadn't meant, I hadn't thought of, especially with Edward Gorey, those three authors together, is this sense of um, a little sadness, you know, and it's it's kind of in the palette of this frog and toad book and, and the colors a lot too. It's also mm-hmm. con- contemplative. The colors are also, you know, are contemplative. And, and so just if you try and imagine the same stories with brightly colored characters that has a whole different feeling you know and I know you know they all really tone that down in a way yeah so anyway carry on yeah I was I was just going to ask which I think follows on from that um about the literary tradition that these books come out of and um like the pastoral and nonsense and anthropomorphism which I know you also write books about talking animals so perhaps you could (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think, well, uh, there's a lot of reasons to go anthropomorphic <laughs> if you want, <laughs> want to write. But, um, well, the characters have agency. Like you said, they can, uh, what all children want is to live in their own little house. And you don't have to explain where the parents are. And they can, they have the freedom to do what, what, what they want to do. And they can still be part children and part adult, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's you know when you, I think one of the things actually I, I think I was going to respond then I sort of got off on my own tangent about what Catherine was saying but one of the things about the frog and toad and the disbalance is that in many kinds of stories there would be always a more adult character you know not always but so so that makes everything seem safe you know and so frog kind of makes things seem safe yet he's also child enough to really enjoy you know and and be silly and enjoy the things you know the craziness and the fun childhood things yeah there's a book that Arnold Lobel wrote called Owl at Home do do either of you know that book oh for sure that's like an amazing book (laughs) you know where he's basically alone in his house the whole book is five stories of just what goes on in his head. You know, he can't find his feet that are at the end of the bed. He's trying to be upstairs and downstairs at the same time. He's basically having a relationship with himself throughout this whole, this whole book. And actually Lobel said that the owl at home character is basically psychotic and toad is neurotic. And, you know, and, and it's frog, the presence of frog that allows that. That kind of um, that balance to 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 be maintained, um, but um, but anyway, so so I think that with the anthropomorphism, you 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 get that that ability to be both child and 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 adult at the same time, and to be able to live your own life and have your own 
problems and and not ha- not have to deal with parents and, and the strictures that we put on children. Um, and I, I guess I think of Lobel also as writing, you know, pretty much out of the pastoral tradition. Um, I guess people think of books like Wind in the Willows, or I mean, obviously goes back to um, ancient Greece, where there's mm. this idea of this quiet world of friendship and art and lute playing and telling stories. And, and there's really... Um, there's no intrusion in in Arnold, in Frog and Toad of anything that looks like the modern world. There's occasional intrusion of other characters, but you know, even in something like The Wind and the Willows, they had there were human characters or something like Beatrix Potter. There was Mister McGregor, you know. But this really is a book about the pastoral tradition, and I think that's sort of a perfect tradition to be writing out of if you want your focus to be on friendship. Um, because, you know, it's really just supports the idea of all of the ways that we can be close and close to nature and and, and art and how they, you know, help us to commune with each other. And um, that's a really interesting point to put alongside um, his uh, Mouse Soup and Mouse Tales. Have you mm-hmm. read those ones? Yeah. Um, where Mouse Soup a mouse is telling stories to um, a weasel that's trying to eat him. And Mouse Tales is one where there's a father who's telling the stories to his children. And they're very similar. Like they, There's no difference in the kind of stories that go in each of those books that I could perceive anyway. Um, and it doesn't, it's like there's the sense of coziness at home, but there's also a sense of, the relationship between a parent and a child is not necessarily completely different than the relationship between a weasel and a mouse that's trying not to be eaten. <laughs> it's like the, the relationship between the parent and the child is not something that, that he finds as sort of inherently like interesting to explore as yeah. the friendship relationship. Yeah. So that's that's a great thing about it. You, you you can you can if you're writing about talking animals you can kind of blur some of those things and you know mm. and, and create your own sort of more re- universal in a way reality adults and children can be more the same male and female can be more the same or or it's it's just the sense of of, of a, uni- a way to connect a little bit more universally. Um, oh. there's, there's no socioeconomic status or anything, mm-hmm. you know. Can I get a little weird for a second? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. so, <laughs> so I just wanted to, like, this is my, um, my sort of blurring uh, on my side of all these, rela- uh, the relationships, like the parental relationship and so on, and coming out as gay and so on and so forth in these books is that I ultimately ended up reading the frog and toad relationship as Arnold Lobel's like sort of wistful treatment of his own marriage to a woman when he was realizing he was gay. So it's like a completely non-sexual relationship, but one where everyone is always very concerned about, about the other person's feelings and not hurting them and not making them feel rejected. And there's a lot of, insecurity around bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> which, which is like it's a feature in children's books, but it's also definitely a feature in 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 relationships where one of the partners is gay and you know and they're frog and toad not frog and frog you know there's there's that kind of difference so like it's not natural for them to have a sexual relationship (laughs) 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 and that may be something of the feeling so so like I felt a lot of that that kind of sadness and care and the particular kind of poignancy of that relationship when it's still a relationship of love i think that's a beautiful way of looking at it really just because from what i understand of you know of their relationship you know anita lobel his wife was a, a illustrator also and they illustrated side by side and you know they had these two children and i think you know there was a lot you know i, I believe that their relationship post-separation was was strong and there was a lot of i'm sure that speaking of the pastoral tradition of that connection, you know, of art and gentleness and, and, you know, interest in nature and all that stuff. It also adds to the the story you were telling the last story where frog says, I'm going to go. Yeah. Like we're still, we could still be together in some way, but we're going to be alone together. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I'm crying. Oh, Oh, wow. Oh, no. No, no, no. Yeah. So I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it that I hadn't thought of, but I think I can really see that. You know, and that is the relationship that he was coming from, not the, you know, whatever he was heading towards. That was our episode on Arnold Lobel's Frog and Toad Are Friends. And as always, we would like to thank Adam Baer for our theme music and LitHub for hosting us. And we'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to write to us, you can reach us by email at litcenturypodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at litcenturypod. And please join us next week when we will be discussing Kristen Lavren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset. 